0: book 4 chapter 9 of camilla this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by linda bellwest camilla or a picture of youth by fanny burney chapter 9 three golden maxims lavinia almost equally terrified followed her sister and sir sedley Burying all foppery in compassion and good nature was foremost to accompany and assist. Camilla had no thought but to get instantly to Cleves. She considered not how. She only forced herself rapidly on, persuaded she could walk it in ten minutes, and ejaculating incessantly, My uncle! My dear uncle! They almost instantly encountered Edgar, who upon the fatal call had darted round to meet them and finding each provided with an attendant, inquired whose carriage he should seek. Camilla, in a broken voice, answered she had no carriage and should walk. Walk, he repeated. You are near five miles from Cleves. Scarce in her senses, she hurried on without reply. What carriage did you come in, Miss Tyrold? said Edgar to Lavinia. We came with Miss Arlberry. Miss Arlberry? She has been gone this half hour. I met her as I entered. Camilla now rushed out of doors, still handed by the major. If you have no carriage in waiting, said Agur, make use, I beseech you, of mine. Oh, gladly, oh, thankfully, cried Camilla, almost sobbing out her words. He flew then to call for his chase, and the doorkeeper, for whom Sir Sedley had inquired, came to them, accompanied by Jacob oh jacob she cried breaking violently from the major tell me tell me my uncle my dearest uncle jacob in a tone of deep and unfeigned sorrow said his master had been seized suddenly with the gout in his stomach and that the doctor who had been instantly fetched had owned there was little hope she could hear no more the shock overpowered her and she sunk nearly senseless into the arms of her sister She was recovered, however, almost in a minute, and carried by Edgar into his chaise, in which he placed her between himself and the weeping Lavinia, hastily telling the two gentlemen that his intimate connection with the family authorized his assisting and attending them at such a period. This was too well known to be disputed, and Sir Sedley and the Major, with great concern, uttered their good wishes and retreated. Jacob had already been for Mr. Tyrold, who had set off instantly on horseback. Camilla spoke not a word for the first mile, which was spent in an hysteric sobbing, but recovering a little afterwards and sinking into the shoulder of her sister. Oh, Lavinia, she cried, should we lose my uncle? A shower of tears wetted the neck of Lavinia, who mingled with them her own, though less violently, from having less connection with Sir Hugh and a sensibility less ungovernable. She called herself upon the postilion to drive faster, and pressed Agar continually to hurry him. But though he gave every charge she could desire, so much swifter were her wishes than any possible speed, that twenty times she entreated to get out, believing she could walk quicker than the horses galloped. When they arrived at the park gate, she was with difficulty held back from opening the chaise door, and when at length they stopped at the house porch, she could not wait for the step, And before Edgar could either proceed or prevent her, threw herself into the arms of Jacob, who, having just dismounted, was fortunately at hand to save her from falling. She stopped not to ask any question. My uncle! My uncle! she cried impetuously, and rushing past all she met was in his room in a moment. Edgar, though he could not obstruct, followed her close, dreading lest Sir Hugh might already be no more, and determined in that case to force her from the fatal spot. Eugenia, who heard her footstep, received her at the door, but took her immediately from the room, softly whispering while her arms were thrown round her waist, He will live. He will live, my sister. His agonies are over. He has fallen asleep. And he will live. This was too sudden a joy for the desponding Camilla, whose breath instantly stopped and who must have fallen upon the floor had she not been caught by Acre, who, though his own eyes copiously overflowed with delight at such unexpected good news of the universally beloved baronet, had strength and exertion sufficient to carry her downstairs into the parlour, accompanied by Eugenia. There, heart and water presently revived her, and then, regardless of the presence of Acre, she cast herself upon her knees to utter a fervent thanksgiving, in which Eugenia, with equal piety, though more composure, joined. Aker had never yet beheld her in a light so resplendent. What a heart, thought he, is here! What feelings! What tenderness! What animation! Oh, what a heart, were it possible to touch it! The two sisters went both gently up the stairs, encouraging and congratulating each other in soft whispers, and stationed themselves in an ante-room. Mr. Tyrold, by medical counsel, giving directions that no one but himself should enter the sick chamber. Edgar, though he only saw the domestics, could not persuade himself to leave the house till near two o'clock in the morning, and by six his anxiety brought him thither again. He then heard that the baronet had passed a night of more pain than danger, the gout having been expelled his stomach, though it had been threatening almost every other part. Three days and nights passed in this manner, during which Edgar saw so much of the tender affections and softer character of Camilla, that nothing could have withheld him from manifesting his entire sympathy in her feelings, but the unaccountable circumstance of her starting forth from a back seat at the play, where she had sat concealed, attended by the major, and without any matron protectress. Miss Margland, meanwhile, scowled at him, and Indiana pouted in vain his earnest solicitude for sir hugh surmounted every such obstacle to his present visits at cleves and he spent there almost the whole of his time on the fourth day of the attack sir hugh had a sleep of five hours continuance from which he awoke so much revived that he raised himself in his bed and called out my dear brother are you still here you are very good to me indeed poor sinner that i am to forgive me for all my bad behaviour to your children My dearest brother, my children, like myself, owe you nothing but kindness and beneficence, and, like myself, feel for you nothing but gratitude and tenderness. They are good, very good indeed, said Sir Hugh, with a deep sigh. But Eugenia, poor little Eugenia, has nearly been the death of me, though not meaning it in the least, being all her life as innocent as a lamb. Mr. Tyrold assured him that Eugenia was attached to him with the most unalterable fondness. But Sir Hugh said that the sight of her, returning from Etherington with nearly the same sadness as ever, had wounded him to the heart by shewing him she would never recover, which had brought back upon him all his first contrition about the smallpox and the fall from the plank, and had caused his conscience to give him so many twitches that it never let him rest a moment till the gout seized upon his stomach and almost took him off at once mr tyrold attributed solely to his own strong imagination the idea of the continuance of the dejection of eugenia as she had left etherington calm and almost cheerful he instantly therefore fetched her intimating the species of consolation she could afford kindness of uncles cried she is it possible you can ever for a moment have doubted the grateful affection with which your goodness has impressed me from my childhood do me more justice i beseech you my dearest uncle recover from this terrible attack and you shall soon see your eugenia restored to all the happiness you can wish her nobody has got such kind nieces as me cried sir hugh again dissolving into tenderness for all nobody has deserved so ill of them my generous little camilla forgave me from the very first before her young soul had any guile in it, which God knows it never has had to this hour, no more than your own. However, this I can tell you, which may serve to keep you from repenting being good, and this is, that your kindness to your poor uncle may be the means of saving a Christian's life, which for a young person at your age is as much as can be expected. For I think I may yet get about again, if I could once be assured, I should see you as happy as you used to be, and you've been the contentedest little thing till those unlucky market women that ever was seen, always speaking up for the servants and the poor, from the time you were eight years old, and never letting me be angry, but taking everybody's part, and thinking them all as good as yourself, and only wanting to make them as happy. Oh, my dear uncle! How kind a memory is yours, retaining only what can give pleasure, and burying in oblivion whatever might cause pain. Is my uncle well enough to speak? cried Camilla, softly opening the door. And may I, for one single moment, see him? That's the voice of my dear Camilla, said Sir Hugh. Come in, my little love, for I shan't shock your tender heart now, for I am going to get better camilla in an ecstasy was instantly at his bedside passionately exclaiming my dear dear uncle will you indeed recover sir hugh throwing his feeble arms round her neck and leaning his head upon her shoulder could only faintly articulate if god pleases i shall my little darling my heart's delight and joy but don't vex whether i do or not for it is but in the course of nature for a man to die even in his youth but how much more when he comes to be old. Though I know you can't help missing me, in particular at the first, because of all your goodness to me. Missing you? Oh, my uncle, we can never be happy again without you. Never, never. When your loved countenance no longer smiles upon us, when your kind voice no longer assembles us around you. My dear child, my own little Camilla, cried Sir Hugh in a faint voice. I... I'm ready to die." Mr. Tyrold here forced her away, and his brother grew so much worse that a dangerous relapse took place, and for three days more the physician, the nurse, and Mr. Tyrold were alone allowed to enter his room. During this time the whole family suffered the truest grief, and Camilla was inconsolable. When again he began to revive, he called Mr. Tyrold to him, and said that this second shake persuaded him he had but a short time more for this world, and begged, therefore, he would prepare him for his exit. Mr. Tyrold complied and found with more happiness than surprise his perfect and cheerful resignation either to live or die, rejoicing as much himself in the innocent benevolence of his past days. Composed and strengthened by religious duties, he then desired to see Eugenia and Indiana, that he might give them his last exhortations and counsel in case of a speedy end. Mr. Tyrold would fain have spared him this touching exertion, but he declared he could not go off with a clear conscience unless he told them the advice which he had been thinking of for them between whiles during all his illness. Mr. Tyrold then feared that opposition might but decompose him and summoned his youngest daughter and his niece, charging them both to repress their affliction lest it should accelerate what they most dreaded. Camilla, always upon the watch, glided in with them, supplicating her father not to deny her admittance. Though fearful of her impetuous sorrows, he wished her to retreat. But Sir Hugh no sooner heard her murmuring voice than he declared he would have her refused nothing, though he had meant to take a particular leave of her alone for the last thing of all. Gratefully thanking him, she advanced trembling to his bedside, solemnly promising her father that no expression of her grief should again risk agitating a life and health so precious. Sir Hugh then desired to have Lavinia called also, because, although he had thought of nothing to say to her, she might be hurt, after he was gone, in being left out. He was then raised by pillows and sat upright, and they knelt round his bed. Mr Tyrold entreated him to be concise, and insisted upon the extremest forbearance and fortitude in his little audience. He seated himself at some distance, and Sir Hugh, after swallowing a cordial medicine, began. "'My dear nieces, I have sent for you all, upon a particular account, which I beg you to listen to, because God only knows whether I may be able to give you so much advice again. I see you all look very melancholy, which I take very kind of you. However, don't cry, my little dears, for we must all go off, so it matters—' little the day or the hour dying being besides the greatest comfort of us all taking us off from our cares as my brother will explain to you better than me the chief of what i have got to say in regard to what i have been studying in my illness is for you two my dear eugenia and indiana because having brought you both up i can't get it out of my head what you'll do when i am no longer here to keep you out of the danger of bad designers my hope had been to have seen you both married while i was alive and amongst you and i made as many plans as my poor head knew how to bring it about but we've all been disappointed alike for which reason we must put up with it properly what i have now last of all to say to you my little dears is three maxims which may serve for you all four alike though i thought of them at first only for you too in the first place never be proud if you are your superiors will laugh at you your equals won't love you and your dependents will hate you and what is there for poor mortal man to be proud of riches why they are but a charge and if we don't use them well we may envy the poor beggar that has so much less to answer for beauty Why, we can neither get it when we haven't it, nor keep it when we have it. Power, why, we scarce ever use it one way, but that we are sorry we did not use it another. In the second place, never trust a flatterer. If a man makes you a great many compliments, always suspect him of some bad design, and never believe him your friend, till he tells you of some of your faults. Poor little things, you little imagine how many you have for all your so good. In the third place, do no harm to others for the sake of any good it may do to yourselves, because the good will will last you but a little while, and the repentance will stick by you as long as you live, and what is worse, a great while longer, and beyond any count the best almanac-maker knows how to reckon. And now, My dear nieces, this is all except the recommending to my dear Eugenia to be kind to my poor servants who have all used me so well, knowing I have nothing to leave them. Eugenia, suppressing her sobs, promised to retain them all as long as they should desire to remain with her and to provide for them afterwards. I know you'll forget nobody, my dear little girl, cried the baronet which makes me die contented not even miss margland a little particularly not being to be considered at one's last end and much less dr Ockborne, who has so much better a right from you as to indiana she'll have her own little fortune when she comes of age and i dare say her pretty face will marry her before long and as to Claremont, he'll come off rather short finding i leave him nothing but you will make up for the deficiency by giving him a whole, as well as a good wife. As, as to Lionel, I leave him my blessing, and as to any other legacy, I never happen to promise him any, which is very good luck for me, as well as my best excuse. And I may say the same to my dear Lavinia, which is the reason I called her in, because she may not often have an opportunity to hear a man speak upon his deathbed, however all i wish for is that i could leave you all equal shares as well as give eugenia the whole oh my dear uncle exclaimed eugenia make a new will immediately do everything your tenderness can dictate or tell me what i shall do in your name and every word every wish shall be sacredly obeyed dear generous noble girl no i won't take from you a shilling keep it all nobody will spend it so well and I, I can't give you back your beauty so keep it my dear all for my oath's sake when i am gone and don't make me die under a prevaricating which would be but a grievous thing for a person to do unless he was but a bad believer which god help us there are enough without my helping to make more mr tyrell now again remonstrated motioning to the weeping group to be gone Oh, my dear brother, said Sir Hugh, you are the only right person that ought to have had it all, if it had not been for my poor weak brain that made me always be looking askew instead of straightforward. And indeed, I always meant you to have had it for your life till the smallpox put things out of my head. However, I hope you won't object to preach my funeral sermon for all my bad faults for nobody else will speak of me so kindly which may serve as a better lesson for those i leave behind tears flowed fast down the cheeks of mr tyrold as he uttered whatever he could suggest most tenderly soothing to his brother and the young mourners not daring to resist were all gliding away except camilla whose hand was fast grasped in that of her uncle Oh, my Camilla, cried he, as she would gently have withdrawn it. How shall I part with my little dear darling? This is the worst twitch to me of all, with all my contentedness. And the more because I know you love your poor old uncle just as well as if he had left you all he was worth, though you won't get one penny by his death. "oh my dear dearest uncle" exclaimed camilla in a passionate flood of tears when mr tyrold assuring them both the consequences might be fatal tore her away from the bed and the room end of chapter 9 recording by linda West.